Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. My hope is that for those of you sitting there dreaming about ministry and, and involved in ministry, that you will learn now some of these lessons so that you don't have to repeat and, and the mistakes that I made so that you can serve the Lord and not have to sit out and, and be able to honor his name. And I was uh, thinking about which text to cho- choose, and, and this text is very interesting because we learn a lot about Moses. And when I look at Moses, specifically this story, I see a lot of myself in Moses. Now, not, not all the glory, but the gory. And this is, make no mistake about it, the worst uh, point in Moses' life. And he's going through some things. In verse 1, we, re- we see that um, Miriam has died. Now, this is significant for a couple reasons. We'll get to the other part of that in a second. But this is his first core group for you, those of you who are church planters and missionaries. Uh, they have died now. That generation is gone. And he has to lead differently. And so Moses, and my first point would be this, Moses is in a leadership transition here in Numbers chapter 20. Um, and, and what happens is in ministry, and you will see this, is you will get in these places where how you were leading in a previous season is not working in for the next season. And, and I'm not talking about situational ethics. I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm saying that you have to respond differently at certain times. And if you lead the way you were leading, it will get you in trouble. And it got Moses in trouble because he's having to enter a new season with a new group of people. And, and one of the things that, that happened to me is there's a little thing that you may have read about called Ferguson that happened in our city. And our church was heavily involved with nonprofits that we had started and, and, and relationships that we had. And um, because I had just written a book that had done really well, I was out traveling with a book instead of being present with my elders and my church during that difficult time. It's hard to, it's hard to, uh, um, it's very easy to underestimate what that did to our city. Our city was on fire, literally, and certainly spiritually. And I wasn't leading like I should have. I wasn't present. And there's seasons in ministry of grind where you just got to get your hustle on. It's hard. And there's seasons of rest. There's seasons of empowerment and delegation. And there's seasons where you have to just lead and in a sense do the ministry on your own. You have to discern and embrace and lean into the season that you're in. And a failure to do so could cause serious problems in your ministry. So Moses is in a transition. Moses is receiving criticism. I know this has never happened to you in ministry, but it happened to Moses, that he's got people quarreling and they're like, we wish we would have died, verses two through five. We wish we would have died in Egypt than to come with you. Why are we being led by you? You are not taking care of us. You're not doing what you promised. 
And here's what's crazy. They grumble, but Moses is humble. They accuse, but he prays. Uh, He literally responds to this criticism in a humble manner. Now, we think he's responding in a humble manner, and maybe he is, but a lot of times you can like listen to critique, you can even outwardly respond, but there may be some other things going on internally in your interior life. I, I had a couple of these things in my process. People say, man, how did you get to the place that you got to? How, did you not see the signs? Did you not? And, and I remember people confronting me and me going, yes, that, I, I see that. I understand that. But inwardly, I was stubborn. Inwardly, I wasn't responsive. And what I've found with pastors after talking to now, I don't even know how many, probably a few hundred that have disqualified themselves, they all say this, God warned me. God gave me opportunities to repent. I was confronted. I was said, you know, talked to privately. I was talked to, and they said, many of them, this, this statement that haunts me, and I listened, but I didn't hear it. And I shook my head, but I hardened my heart. And this is what happened to me, and I think this is what, what is happening to Moses. And, and it seems like it, it didn't seem like that way. If you look in, in verse, uh, uh, you know, uh, 9, Moses takes the staff, and God has said, um, you know, I want you to use this staff. And what's he supposed to do with the staff? And what's he supposed to do to the rock? Well, he's supposed to speak to the rock. But in verse 10, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of the rock for you? Now, God has said, we know this from the text, I want you to speak to the rock. Now, Moses is saying something negative against the people. Wait, I thought he just responded. I thought he rightly humbled himself. No, something else is going on. And now, this is how you know. You're not responding to criticism. This is how you know there's some things going on, that some seeds that are growing in you that might cause your leadership and even your life destruction. You start getting sloppy with what God said. He's sloppy with God's word. God didn't tell him to say, verse 10, you rebels. Now, it's interesting. Who are they rebelling against? The people. Moses says, shall we bring water out of this rock? In other words, Moses is saying, you're rebelling against us. This has nothing to do with God. You're hurting my leadership feelings. You're not listening to my counsel. Now, I don't think pastors decide one day, hey, you know what? I'm going to substitute my words for God's words. I don't think we wake up and, and say, we're going to get a little bit off. But, but when you get tired... And you get betrayed, perhaps, or you start receiving criticism. You can get sloppy. And many pastors go from preaching the text to using the text to justify their exhaustion or their anger. And they beat people up. Instead of being surgeons with the word of God, they become butchers. And this is what Moses is doing. Now, I'm a little sympathetic to him. And I remember reading this verse. 
before I planted a church and before I was really in full-time ministry. Second uh, Timothy two twenty-four and twenty-five says, "The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth and escape the snare of the devil." And I remember reading that, and I'm like, that verse didn't make sense till I planted a church. That verse didn't make sense till I was a pastor. Because it takes a tremendous amount of patience and submission to lead. And there's nothing more frustrating than when, when you are trying to lead people. And you are trying to counsel them and teach them. And they don't listen to you. You take it personally. Like, they don't do what you say, and then they blame you for the consequences of not doing what you say. That ever happened? This is what's going on with Moses. I think he's got a little sacrifice righteousness going on. You know about sacrifice righteousness? That's when you have extended yourself, and you have prayed, and you have given, and you have served, and people aren't responding to you the way they, that you think they should. I study 25 hours a week for a sermon, and you aren't getting fed? I, I just laid myself out. I had sleepless nights. I took time away from my family to help you with your marriage. And now you're getting a divorce and it's my fault. It gets old and you get tired and you start getting sloppy. And, and you start using this book as a tool for your ministry instead of a treasure for your heart. Wayne Cordero was a pastor in Hawaii, and he did this illustration years ago. He said, the key to ministry is this. But what happens to us is we start doing this. What are we we forgetting? The heart. The word of God is a treasure, not a tool. And Moses is getting sloppy. And one of the reasons is he's, he's got some unresolved emotions. Who was Miriam? It was his sister. He's grieving. He's grieving. Not only is his first core group gone, now his sister is gone. And he's dealing with some sadness. Those of you who have been in ministry, do you remember the first person that had been a pastor? Do you remember the first person who left your church because of you? Or so they said. I remember that. And I remember being really sad. And then about 47 people later, it didn't hurt so bad. Now, part of that's good because I've learned to be resilient But part of it was, I didn't want to really deal with my sadness. And so I just became a robo-pastor. Nobody's going to hurt me. Moses has got anger going on. We, We learned this from Psalm 106 because it says, Moses spoke these words, Numbers 20, rashly in anger. And depending on how you grew up, certain emotions were tolerated and certain emotions were forbidden. And... My family was really good at anger. Like, my dad was 
Like, I think he was in the dictionary back when they used to have those things, right? His picture was there. So I knew, I, I knew how to do anger. Sadness, fear, not so much. Moses has got this stuff working on him. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's related to sadness, maybe some fear. I know for me, the way I deal with fear is I read more, read more books, and I work more. I don't really want to encounter fear. And so part of my process in restoration that continues, he's, this man's still in my life, um, is, is, uh, is counseling. I've got my, a picture of one of my counselors up. I think we got it somewhere. Uh, his name is Rich. He runs a ministry called Cross Point Ministries. And they have a, you know, a very amazing, uh, they work with leaders and pastors. And Rick made, uh, Rich made this statement. He said, um, hey, Darren, um, you have a low tolerance for negative emotions. I looked at him and I'm like, here's the emotion I have right now, Rich. I want to throat punch you. What does that mean? I didn't didn't know what it meant, but I didn't like it. But here's what he was saying. He's like, you are awesome at anger. He said, you have no idea how to deal with your fear. You have no idea how to deal with sadness. And he said, let's go to the Bible real quick. Um, did Jesus do fear? Garden of Gethsemane, I think so. How about sadness? Did Jesus do sadness? What happened when his buddy Lazarus died? He, died, he wept. See, we have a truncated anthropology. We, don't, we, don't, we, we love the deity of Jesus. We don't talk about the humanity of Jesus a lot. Jesus experienced every emotion, and he didn't go around them. He went through them, which is the key. But for me, fear and sadness, you know what that's going to do? Slow me down. That's going to keep me from achieving more. I won't be able to go and speak at conferences and sell my books, and I won't be able to, um, you know, do a thousand things. I'm going to avoid that by over working and if I go into fear and if I go into sadness I'm going to have to look at some things I don't want to look at and I'm not going to be able to achieve some things that I want to achieve when you think about the emotions you have friends in some some of those emotions ones you welcome ones you know well and then you have some enemies those you avoid and Moses has got this anger, fear thing going on. He's not even aware of it, I don't think. But for me, working through some of this stuff, Rich gave me some homework. Um, I said, when, when do I get to turn the homework in? He says, when you meet Jesus, then you can turn it in. In other words, this is a lifelong process. Here's what he said. He said, Darren, you need to pay attention to the amount of energy you are spending on creating and sustaining your image. You need to be curious of how hard and fast you work on accomplishing tasks efficiently at the expense of true intimacy. Then he said this, he says, Darren, your relationships are often in service of tasks Part of my restoration process was listening, what they called listening meetings. And it's, it's just like they sound. You get to listen but not talk. Any ex-elder, current elder, ex-staff, current staff, ex-member, current member could set an appointment with me if they felt like I had wounded them. And my job was to listen. 
So I think there were 20 some people. And I remember the first day there were three appointments. And uh, the first person said, Darren, I just kind of felt like I, you're, you're really relational. And, and I'm really, I really, I really, I think you care about me, but I just, I don't know. I kind of just, just feel like, you know, you were just kind of using me and for ministry. Okay. Second person. Hey, Darren, I feel like, um, I kind of feel like a pawn in your big chess game. Third person was like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I really like you. I feel like, you know, we have some good, but I, I don't know. I just never really felt like I knew you and felt like we were, we were always just about, you know, getting stuff done. I kind of felt you. I mean, I got back from the first day and my wife's like, how'd it go? And I'm like, these people are so sensitive. I mean, what is wrong? I don't. The next day I had three more meetings and the first person said, yeah, I kind of felt like a pawn. Second person said, yeah, I kind of felt like you were using me. And I mean, I remember right where I was sitting and I was like, it's me. <laughs> it's not them. It's not them. He said, be mindful of the temptation to, to be manipulative. And this is very hard for you, Darren. I can hear the way he says Darren, Darren. This is very hard for you, Darren, because everyone celebrates your work but you manipulate people to get God's work done. So it's not that you're doing bad stuff. It's that you're doing good stuff, but you're harming people who are with you. He says, realize that much of what you call drivenness or excellence is actually drivenness. And then he says this, he put himself in my, he had me say this sentence, I, Darren, can easily want more of people than God has created them to give. Let's say it again. I can want more of people than God has created them to give. Be careful, church planters. Be careful, missionaries. Excellence is good and a valued goal, but an exaggeration attention to excellence, listen, dehumanizes and devalues others. He said, Darren, you need to notice how you respond to interruptions. Interruptions may be a way of gaining new insight, which may help you reach your goal. Beware of instinctive negative reactions to an interruption. One of the, one of the uh, professors at Notre Dame years ago said, I used to get mad at interruptions to my work until I realized, until I realized that interruptions were my work. For me, interruptions are jacking my plan up. You know, hindering the mission, slowing us down. He said, you need to recognize your gift is efficiency, but requiring that of everyone else wounds them. He says, you need to create space for feedback from others. You need to learn the discipline of self-awareness. Self-awareness is, this is who we think we are. This is how other people experience us. And the bigger the gap, the least you're going to be trusted as a leader. This one slayed me. He says, you need to recognize the burden that it is to work with you. How hard is it for people when you are constantly projected, projecting, I am loved for my achievements? 
how can people stand up to that? Unresolved emotions. Moses had them, we have them. But here's the real deal. Moses is, is a very entitled leader. And I don't know if you saw this. I mean, he strikes the rock instead of speaking to it. Okay, clearly sin, God didn't say that. But worthy of death? Brian Chapel argues that what happened here is that Moses actually assumed the offices of Christ, all three offices. He was a prophet. He substituted his words for God. God didn't say to call them rebels, and he did. He, he, he made himself a priest. He strikes instead of speaking. He's essentially saying, um, I will stand before the people. If you remember Exodus 17, God says to the first generation, strike the rock. And it's as if 1 Corinthians 10 seems to imply that somehow that rock became Christ. As if possibly God is allowing Moses to strike himself in order for his children to live. It's a preview of the cross. But now, in Numbers, Moses strikes the rock, putting himself in the position of master and priest. And the Lord in the position of a servant. Moses puts himself in the position of a mediator. Moses is assuming the role of a priest. He also assumed the role of a king. He's taking God's authority as his own, this staff. Moses, you hold my staff and speak to the rock. Moses takes the staff, thinks sepulcher, and strikes the rock twice, saying, I am the one who nourishes the people. I am the one who leads the people. I am the one who is the Savior. I am putting myself in the place of God. And God says, because of that, you did not treat me as holy. You are saying that you're the prophet, you're the priest, you're the king. You can't take my staff and pretend you're the chief shepherd. I will not share my glory with you. Here is the most humble man on the face of the earth. God says, I speak to this person face to face. Let's kill everybody and start over. God says that to Moses. That guy forfeited his opportunity to lead. What happened? Entitlement. Entitlement is a very subtle enemy. It tricks you to thinking that your calling is a career. It deceives you by saying the church exists to serve you. It, 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 it gets you to thinking that your presence is not um, needed in certain things when it's absolutely needed. When people become tools, you become entitled. I am the, I'm ashamed of so many things. I have, I have so many regrets, but this is the main one, that I became a person that I, I really, I really would, ne- I would never say this with my lips, but in my heart, I really thought most people should serve me. I really thought my elders and our staff and other Christian leaders, I really felt superior and thought they're lucky to have me around. I would have never said that, and I even presented as humble at times, but in my heart, that's what was growing and going on. And that's what entitlement will do. And you don't have to be a megachurch pastor to get this. And you don't have to have written a book to be there. There's a growing entitlement which says this, 
I am not a servant. I deserve to be served. That's it. Now, here's what's crazy. You know the end of the story? What happens? What happens? Does God go, man, this guy, crooked stick. He's sinned terribly, so I'm going to shut off the fruitfulness valve. Is that what happens? I remember in, 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 as, a new, as a new believer um, going to seminary, and I would get to hang out with chapel speakers, and, and um, a few chapel speakers would get up and preach the paint off the, the paint was peeling off the wall during the sermon. Just unbelievably gifted. Maybe they'd written a couple books. And then you get backstage. And I remember a couple of them and I'm like, hmm, I'm surprised the Lord blesses that. That's interesting. How rude was that guy to the waitress? How demean, I mean, did he really tell that joke in the, before we, like, I was surprised, right? I shouldn't be surprised. Neither should you. You know why? Bible. What does God do to Moses with the Messiah complex Moses, entitled Moses, Moses not dealing with his emotions? What does God do? He gives water. 600,000 fighting men, we think, um, based on the census given. So here's, what, here's, here, here's the water needed today. 2.4 million gallons just for the people, probably another four to eight for the livestock, million gallons. That'd be like five, 50 fire hydrants, one taker trunk a minute, 4,000 4, gallons a minute, and God gives it as his servant is imploding. Don't ever equate giftedness with character. Don't ever equate fruitfulness with faithfulness. They're not always connected. I don't understand. If I were God, I wouldn't do it that way, but that's the way he does it. He draws straight lines with crooked sticks. Now, here's the question. Did Moses ever repent? I mean, he obviously didn't get to go in the promised land. Well, I wonder if this is a little bit like Jonah. Did Jonah repent? J the book of Jonah. <laughs> That's his repentance, right? Maybe Moses, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this text, probably, and this is his repentance. This is his warning to us as leaders. Moses is saying, despite my failures, God blessed his people. It's grace. Disobedient leader plus rebellious people equals God's grace. But this is also a warning. One act of disobedience can disqualify you. One sexual sin, one lack of financial integrity, one angry conversation... 40 years of faithfulness is blown by one act of disobedience. So friends, I don't want you to have to give this talk. But my guess is 
there's some seeds of disqualification already growing in you. And some of it's related to volitional, willful, sinful behavior. Some of it is, in others, there's, I, I describe, I describe uh, you know, there's two facets to, to sin. We, we sin and we've been sinned against. So with sin, that's rebellion, that needs to be repented. When we've been sinned against, that's a wound, it needs healing. You can't repent of your wounds. You can't repent of somebody sinning against you. And some of you have been sinned against. Some of you were abused, like I was. And I thought I'd, like I'd written all kinds of books. Here's how you deal with your daddy wound. My dad dies about six months before all this blows up. It, it opens some stuff in me I, didn't know, I did not understand. If you've got any trauma in your past, some of you have been a part of church splits or you've been betrayed in ministry or your parents were or somebody close to you, pay attention to that. There's wounds there. You need some healing. Some of you are in willful sin, like you're clearly disobeying God. Like that is going to do nothing but grow if you don't repent and if you don't get healing. And you say, well, I got it managed. I got it under control. Well, let me add a couple hundred people to your church. Start getting asked to speak other places. You're not going to be able to manage it then. You can't manage your sin. You have to repent of it. You can't just, time is not going to heal some wounds. Some wounds are healed by time. You're going to have to get some healing. I don't know where you are, but this could be God's warning to you from the life of this amazing leader, Moses. And maybe this pathetic leader, Darren. You don't have to be a statistic. You don't have to be that person that, and I don't know if they still use this, Dr. Aiken, this stat of <clears throat> the number of people who go to seminary versus are in ministry five, ten years later. It used to be, you know, I, most of my friends, frankly, that I went to seminary with are not in ministry anymore. Like, and I'm not saying God doesn't call people and clarify, you know, things, but may it not be because we disqualified ourselves. May it not be because we didn't heed the warnings of God through the people of God. People ask all the time, like, you know, because my wife, people who know my wife, my wife's very sharp. Like, wouldn't your wife, like, blow the whistle on some of this stuff? Our life was super chaotic, mainly from my crazy opportunity seeking um, for Jesus. Uh, but yeah, she, she did. She did know some things. Well, we become so isolated uh, relationally and not just from, from, from each other, but we didn't have a lot of other friends. We didn't have a lot of other mentors. And, and so her voice, though strong at times, you know, I just, I, I would, I would, here's what I would do. She would point out a character flaw, I'd blame the church. Well, I wouldn't be so angry if it wasn't for those deacons, right? Do you understand the pressure I'm under? I say it to her all the time. And I just didn't listen. So your spouse may have the corrective words that are going to save your soul. Some of the leaders in your life, some of, the, some of your uh, people you're going to school with, they see things. They're wanting to help you close that gap of self-awareness between how, how you think you are versus how you're really being experienced. Will you listen? Will you listen? Will you be a person who says, hey, man, 
my life is an open book. I, I, I want people speaking in. And I'm not talking about everybody. And by the way, when you do that um, open your life up thing, get some, get some sur- surgeons are better than butchers. Okay? So a lot of reasons we don't open up our lives is because we've been butchered. People, we open it up and they use it, right? Has that ever happened to anybody or is that just me? Right? So find some surgeons. Pray for some people who will cut to heal. A, bu- a butcher cuts to hurt. A surgeon cuts to heal. And you need some surgeons in your life. You need to gather some mentors and some surgeons in your life that are able to, with precise truthfulness and also grace, go, hey, I'm worried about you here. Let me help you, help you walk out of that. And, you, and here's the thing. That was my heart for years and years and years. And then I got successful. And I stopped listening. And I stopped gathering those kind of people. And I learned, I learned, I learned how to pretend. Pastors are amazing pretenders. We can fool a ton of people. But here's what I want to say in closing. You do not have to be, you do not have to pretend to be farther along than you are because God loves you right where you are. You don't have to play the game. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to be something you're not. You can be exactly who you are and God will meet you and use you right where you are. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for elders who rebuked me and disciplined me, even though I have opinions about how that could have been done better. And, but Lord, you used those men and you used many other people to help me see myself. And Lord, I'm, I'm, you know, there's still a lot more to see and a lot more to turn from and a lot more to be healed of but thank you for the people that you've put in my life spiritual fathers and I do pray that for my brothers and sisters here so many times we have to raise ourselves spiritually but we pray Lord that you would send spiritual fathers and that you would even now create that desire in us to be that and we're, we're not just going to aspire to be a spiritual father or a spiritual mom because we want to we have to respond to your spirit now so Holy Spirit where there is darkness in our hearts seeds of rebellion wounds from trauma would you help us to see those and to seek out repentance and healing we don't want those seeds to grow we don't want those wounds to fester we want to be your men and your women who lead your people with integrity faithfully and that we want to bear much fruit we want to see the world come to know Jesus And if we're to go to the uttermost parts of the world, Lord, we need you to go to the innermost recesses of our own hearts. So we invite you to do that. And we trust you to use us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.